Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think the Apostle Paul says it well in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord, as we know they are in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We conclude our study of the Lord's Prayer in Luther's Small Catechism with the seventh petition and the conclusion. It is very rightly put that when we get toward the end of the petitions, this is talking about the daily walk, what surrounds us, the daily battles. And then we get to the conclusion where it ends with, Amen. What does this mean for us? We know there is evil in the world. And we always kind of like, well, hopefully I don't fall into it as if there's no way to ask the Lord to help us. Maybe it isn't only something we pray for our children, which I know my parents did for me. I do for my own children, but maybe we should do it for ourselves and pray also for others. We'll talk about that more, that and much more. Dust off your little catechism and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism from the Ten Commandments until today, send us an email. KFUO at KFUO.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, welcome back to Concord Matters. Oh, it is great to be here. All right, Pastor, you know, let's get right into it. We are in the seventh petition, and I just, I'm just going to read it. Um, we are reading from the Luther Small Catechism with Explanation. This is the 2017 version of Luther Small Catechism from CPH, and we are on page 22. So a lot leads up to this, and Pastor Ketchamara will catch us up, if you will, when we get to the seventh petition. But here is what we confess, the seventh petition. But deliver us from evil. What does this mean? We pray in this petition, in summary, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. Pastor, the seventh petition is really uh, kind of connects to us beautifully with the previous petitions and also scripture. Where do you want to start? Well, let, let's just start with the understanding right here. When we're talking about deliverance from evil, I mean, in particular, we're talking about the evil one, which of course is the devil. I mean, the devil is the one who slithers in. That's a serpent of old, the old ancient foe. He's the one who brought sin into this creation, and he's the one who separated us from God, the one who is life. And, and, and I want us to see this whole Lord's Prayer kind of in this packaged way that when we begin and we, we speak to our Heavenly Father, the only reason we can call him our Heavenly Father is because of Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten Son. So he is the only one who can truly call him Father because he is God of God, begotten, not made. But in our baptism, we are adopted children of God. And so now we have access to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. 
and we can come before him and pray with him because he's the high priest. He's that one mediator. So we can pray that his kingdom would come and that the Holy Spirit would be given to us. The Holy Spirit given to us, of course, in the Holy Word. That's how the Holy Spirit works through the gospel to give us uh, faith, to call, gather, and enlighten us so that we continue to be strengthened in our faith. And why do we want to be strengthened in our faith is because in this life, there's always going to be this battle uh, over the conscience. It's that old evil foe who's always going to try to take our conscience, and he's going to try to leave us in doubt and despair, leave us with a terrified conscience, uh, leave us with a, a confused conscience that has no confidence to stand before God, that uh, doesn't even have the the desire to want to, to pray to God, or that God could even hear the prayer that we would say. And so this is really, in this whole Lord's Prayer, look at this as a, a battle over the conscience, because this is where this war of words is fought, because we know that we stand before God as forgiven, as righteous and holy with the righteous and holiness of Christ given to us as a gift. It is a received righteousness that we receive by faith. But before God, we stand good. But it's in this life when things trouble us and our conscience alarms us that we have done things that are contrary to God's will, this is where the devil's going to kind of slither in and try to separate us further and further from God, uh, falling into doubt and despair and disbelief and all other ways leading astray from God's clear word. So when we're praying in the Lord's Prayer, I mean, notice how we're saying that God's will would be done on heaven as on earth. And so you kind of have that shift there with the third petition that now our focus is from heaven, our Father who art in heaven, to now this life on earth. And so immediately we shift to that fourth petition about our daily bread. This is the physical life that we have on earth. And if you will, look back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, this is where it all began. We had that original righteousness when Adam was uh, formed from the dust of the ground and Eve was built from the side of Adam. That there's where, there, there's where everything was good with God. Uh, there was no conscience that was alarmed or anxious or in fear of death. Everything was good until the devil slithered in with food. I mean, so again, it's food. It's the food that God had forbid us to eat from, that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so now notice that we go back to food. So we're here with food that God is the one who gives us our daily bread. He gives us the food that we need to sustain our bodies. But it was the devil who tempted Eve and saying, no, God is holding out from you. He's trying to uh, do things that are not good for you. And so Eve, of course, fell into that, that sin and that temptation that it looked good for eating, and she called it good, and she ate, and Adam, of course, ate too. And so as soon as you go back to the daily bread, that God's the one who is good, and God provides us our daily bread, even when we don't ask because that's who he is. That's what he does. Well, then we go to that fifth petition, and immediately now we're talking about what we need in this life, this side of the fall into sin. We constantly need the forgiveness of sins, that God is the one who forgives us our trespasses, and therefore we are to forgive others. And so what I think is profound is when Luther talks about this in the large catechism, this whole understanding of, of the conscience being attacked by the devil, the devil does not want us to be confident before God. The devil doesn't want us to come before the Lord in prayer. The devil wants to leave us in doubt and despair. And the devil is always attacking the conscience because the devil is trying to kind of uh, stoke the, the fires, if you will, of the conscience saying, you're guilty, you stand condemned, and uh, you are outside the kingdom of heaven. 
But it, it's this battle here where we constantly need that gospel message, the good news that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he's the one who has defeated the devil. He is the victor, and he's the one that continues to give us that message that brings consolation and assurance. And so when Luther talks about forgiveness in the, the large catechism, Luther goes into this whole understanding that the ability to forgive— that when you forgive somebody, it gives you this consolation insurance that you are forgiven in heaven, okay? Because here we are on earth, and it's the devil who's attacking us here on earth, and the conscience, of course, is bound to this ground, and the devil is kind of trying to, to trick us, to mislead us, but we are assured that God has forgiven us, and therefore we are to be forgiven forgiving people. We've been forgiven. We stand forgiven before God. Now we are to be forgiving. So Luther will call this ability to forgive a sign, a sign that's attached to this petition that uh, we, we remember this promise that our Father is in heaven, and we can call him our Father all for the sake of Jesus. And we stand forgiven, not that we can make satisfaction or try to merit uh, this forgiveness or earn this forgiveness. It has already been won by Jesus. And so that's why Luther will emphasize that we stand forgiven even before we pray. But this, this sign here that when we, we are forgiving people, this is the understanding that confirms our conscience to rejoice that we have the forgiveness of sins. And, and so last time when we were looking at that, that forgiveness of sins, we were looking in Ephesians and 1 Peter. I mean, we had mentioned that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, uh, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. Okay. The Holy Spirit is working in the life of the baptized believer with this good news, this gospel, in which we are told, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That we rejoice in the forgiveness that we received, and here on earth we then extend that forgiveness to others, which then becomes an assurance, a confirmation that we stand forgiven before God. Or in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, where we, uh, we hear the words of the Holy Spirit saying, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, because love covers a multitude of sins. I mean, so we, we talked about that idea last time about forgiveness and bearing with one another, uh, that that sin is done to us, but yet we bear to one, uh, we bear with each other, the sinner, and we even have the battle scars from those sins. But it's love that covers a multitude of sin. Not that love merits forgiveness, but that love, it covers over that sin. And that's that direct connection to being forgiving is being loving with the kind of love that Christ has for us. So we see this also in Colossians chapter 3 at like uh, verse 13, where we are told to, again, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So you have this whole understanding of forgiveness being central uh, for the whole uh, war that we have in our own conscience, this, this battle over words here on earth, this spiritual uh, struggle that we have, that we stand before God as good, all for the sake of Christ. And we're praying this petition because we can, as, as believers, we are exercising our faith, calling upon God in our time of need. And what do we always need? We always need the forgiveness of sins. So you move from that fifth petition 
into the sixth petition, which of course is lead us not into temptation. I mean, this is what uh, the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, that's the enemies. Those are the ones that are always trying to take us astray and away from God's word. Uh, The world, of course, a part of this fallen creation, uh, the devil who's always trying to slither in and separate us from this confidence that we have all for the sake of Christ, and even our own sinful nature, uh, that we would be tempted to fall into this despair and doubt, but it's God who's always giving to us the hope with the gospel, and of course, faith with the gospel, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when you finally get to that seventh petition, this is that deliver us from evil. In this life, we will constantly have this battle. We will constantly have to struggle and wrestle with sin. Uh, Sin itself will remain in the baptized, but it shall not reign over the baptized. And so in this life, we're constantly in the need of that forgiveness, recognizing and realizing that we all are sinners who constantly need this deliverance. And that ultimate deliverance from the evil one will not come about until that that last day uh, in the resurrection of the body, where no longer will we have the sin remaining in us. We won't even be able to sin in the life to come. And so we're waiting for that final deliverance, but but this deliverance that only God can do. We cannot deliver ourselves from this. Um, but but I'm going to stop right there, but I'd like to kind of look back at Colossians itself and kind of look at this big picture. I, I don't know if you have some thoughts or comments there. Well, I think you covered it beautifully because it, it does come back to that, that uh, identity as forgiven, that then that foundation that leads us to this temptation and now deliverance. And so keep going. You're on, you're on a roll. Let's get to Colossians. Well, good. Let, let's, so again, at Colossians, that, that central passage that I want us to see is that uh, chapter 3, verse 13, in which we are forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us. Okay, we must be forgiving because that's what we are. We are forgiven people to be forgiving. And so that's the key of being Christian. But if you start off in Colossians chapter 1, and remember, Paul is addressing the baptized in Colossae. So these are those who have been baptized, the ones who have received this gift of adoption. And with that gift of adoption, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who continues to work with the Word, the gospel message, to continue to convert us, to continue to open our eyes to see and ears to hear God's Word clearly. And so you you begin in chapter 1, like let's say at verse 13, and notice how he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, of course, the reverent here for the the pronoun he is God the Father. So God the Father has delivered us. So this is the language of being delivered. This is not something that we can do. This is something that one who is greater than us, one who is greater than the old evil foe, which of course is God alone. And so God is the one who delivers us. But you see, making this a distinction in the the plurality of persons of the Trinity here, that it's the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Okay, So this is this whole situation that we are now in, in the fall into sin. We are part of this corrupted creation by nature, our sinful flesh. We are enemies of God. We hate God's word. We despise God's word. We despise God. But yet while we were still enemies, the Father sends forth the Son, and the Son dies for us. So this is the key here, that we have been transferred out of this dominion, delivered out of this, and transferred into the kingdom of his Son. 
the beloved son. And, and this, again, remember in the Lord's Prayer, we're, we're praying that God's kingdom would come. God's kingdom would come to us and to many others. Uh, again, we're not asking God to do something that uh, uh, he's not already doing, but what we're asking is that we would be part of this kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom where the Holy Spirit is working with the Word. And then, of course, in the that doxology, the end of the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom. Okay, I mean, so we're talking about the kingdom where Christ is king, and Christ is king of the conscience when we have this peace and understand this peace with God in the midst of all these external things that are going on in life. Everything that seems like uh, everything's going to hell in a handbasket, and it seems like God is not uh, paying attention, that God is is not in control. That's how it seems. But yet faith clings to the promises of God like this. It's a matter-of-fact statement. As being baptized, you have been delivered. So you've been delivered out of the domain of darkness. You have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we have this reality now, but it will not be fully made manifest until that last day. On the last day, when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, you have the bodily resurrection. Then we will see this reality made manifest before our own eyes. And so we have this redemption. So he assures us again in in verse 14 in Colossians chapter 1, it's in him in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's always going to be the key, that it's in Christ alone do we have this redemption and this forgiveness of sins. And so when you keep moving toward uh, this understanding of Christ is the one who has secured for us uh, this salvation, that it's in him we have this, it's that faith is always clinging to that. That's where the conscience is going to be uh, strengthened and and confirmed here that we know for certain that we have this because Christ has won it for us. He has been uh, overcome death in the grave. He is risen. He is living and he is forgiving. And so you move into this whole understanding that uh, what Paul will do here is this imagery of a head and a body. So Christ, of course, is the head the church is the body. And, and even think of th- this picture that Luther will use in his sermons, that when a, a person is, is sleeping uh, in bed and wakes up to rise up the next morning, the head always comes up, uh, rises up first. So you always get up first with your head, and then the whole body follows. So when you have Christ who overcame death in the grave and he rose from the dead, he, he is the one who is the firstborn from the dead. The whole body will follow. Wherever he goes, that's where we go. We cling to him. So so Paul will use this whole imagery of Christ being the head and the church being the body, that he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him, that everything in him might have be preeminent. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, it's through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I mean, so this is the key here. It's He's the prince of peace. He's the one who establishes this peace in the conscience so we can be confident that we now stand righteous before the Father for the sake of the Son. And, you know, Paul will say this in Romans chapter 5 when he says, therefore being justified, okay, we now have access. I mean, this is that we now have peace with God in Romans chapter 5. So it's that peace that we have in the conscience. It's the devil who's always going to try to steal our joy, and he's the one who's always going to try to take this peace out of the conscience and leave us confused and, and leave us in a state of despair. But it's that message that the Holy Spirit is always working, contrary to the 
old evil foe, contrary to this evil spirit. Uh, remember that the, the devil is a spirit of sadness. Uh, he, he's always trying to, to take us away from the joy that God gives us. And so uh, Paul will go on in uh, verse 21, this is still chapter one, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, uh, when you look at Ephesians, Paul will use that whole imagery of being holy and blameless to, to teach us about baptism, that Christ is the bridegroom who gave up his life for the bride to make her holy, to wash away all of the sin, the blemishes, everything that is unholy and wicked in us, that we might stand clean before God and that he might present us to himself like this, uh, holy and blameless. And what here, what Paul does in Ephesians, directly talking about baptism, now indirectly he will move into baptism in this identity that we have in chapter 2. And, and this is where Paul will start talking about baptism, but it's in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, in him, being Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so that's our identity we have now. Uh, we stand as those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life. We have adoption as sons, sons of God. And so instead of that, uh, the sign uh, of circumcision in the past where Abraham believed it was the sign of righteousness and of the seed who would defeat and crush the serpent's head, now you have this understanding that in baptism we have something far greater. We have a new identity in Christ. And the devil always wants us to, to identify with our sins. God always wants us to identify with our Savior. So the Father is always pointing us back to the Son. The Holy Spirit is always pointing us back to the Son. In baptism, you've been united with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. You've been buried with Christ, and you have been raised with Christ in newness of life. And so Paul will then go on and use this imagery in, in verse 12 in chapter 2, where he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So Paul ties this whole imagery of what we have in baptism to, to where we want to see who we are before God. We stand as those who are sons of God. And so because of the only begotten Son, the Father only sees the perfection and the righteousness that only belong to Jesus, but then is given to us by donation, if you will. I mean, he's giving it. We are beggars before God. It's all gift language. It's received by faith. So that's that whole image that now we are the baptized, and as the baptized, we're going to have this battle because now we have been marked as one of God's and not anymore one of Satan's. And so Satan doesn't like this. And he's always going to try to persuade us or try to re-recruit us, I guess if that's even a word, but try to get us back on his losing team. I mean, that's what the devil is always going to try to do. And so Paul will continue with this whole language of this baptismal identity into chapter three, when he talks about put on the new man, being clothed in the new man. Uh, I mean, you're putting on, you're being dressed in the robes of righteousness. So you have uh, the garments of salvation. You have the righteousness of Christ that we're dressed in. And so we're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of uh, the creator. Uh, Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so Paul will 
point us back to our identity. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, uh, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then this is where he says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And that goes back to that whole uh, fifth petition, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's why Luther is going to say this is a sign to us. It's something that's going to take us back to confirming what Christ has done in his word, that in that forgiving, the ability to forgive others ties us to being forgiven before him. And so notice that when uh, Colossians talks about this baptismal identity, uh, uh, reassures us of this new creation that we have, that we are, we are forgiven and we are to be forgiving, then Paul in Colossians chapter 4 will talk about prayer. Continue, if chapter 4 verses 2 through 4, he says, continue steadfast in prayer. I mean, that's what we're doing in the Lord's Prayer. This is, we're being taught how to pray as the children of God, that we would tenderly ask our Heavenly Father, just as a child does a child's earthly father. We're, we're, we've been tenderly invited to just pray to Him with this, this boldness and this confidence that we have. So continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So this is that whole emphasis of prayer. When we join together, we join together as the people of God, as the baptized, as the body, as the bride, and we say, our Father who art in heaven. So it's always in this, this plur, plural. The pronoun is plural because it's, even when you pray individually, you're still praying with the whole church. And this church militant on earth, we're praying together as we have this battle here. Uh, so you go through, you say, forgive us our trespasses, lead us not in temptation, and deliver us from evil. Uh, that with, together, as God's people, we know that we have a Savior, we have uh, the valiant one who fights for us. Um, I, I, let me just pause right there and let's a uh, moment of reflection or something, maybe. <laughs> I, and Pastor, here's one of, the, one of the joys that I have, especially going through the small catechism and our Lutheran confessions, is that as we look at the seventh petition, but deliver us from evil, how could we not talk about that without first understanding of our identity, which is going to mean very soon we're going to talk about baptism and you'll be on with us again. So this baptismal identity, at the same time, if, I, if we have to ask for someone else to deliver us, that means we need to be delivered. Yes, And that's the, the beauty of seeing this through the lens of forgiveness. And I challenge you, our listeners, that to read this catechism today, I think it's very appropriate that we go through the seventh petition and the conclusion, and then boom, we go right back to Colossians because it fits together perfectly by the Holy Spirit. So pastor, we're going to have to take our break right now and probably let our brains uh, think a little bit about this because we've received so much grace this morning so far. So we need to take this break. We are studying the seventh petition and conclusion of the Lord's Prayer and Luther's small catechism, and we'll be right back.
Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. studying the seventh petition and conclusion of of the Lord's Prayer in Luther's Small Catechism with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, Pastor, I touched on this a little bit before our break, but there is that, that, that wonderful interconnectedness of knowing that if we even have to pray but deliver us from evil, it assumes two things. One, there's evil, and two, we need to be delivered. And then I suppose the third one is that we begin with that forgiveness that we have in Christ. Um, and so all of that comes together just with a simple identity. And it, uh, how do you want to take us from here? I, I think we've gone through all of Colossians. Yeah. We, Maybe you have more. No, we, we have. <laughs> it, but I, I think that what we want to look at, it again, is it, it's, it's our identity in the very beginning. In that Garden of Eden, you had the first man, you had the first woman, okay? And that the identity they had was they were creatures. They're creatures of a good creator. It's it's the devil who comes, he, the serpent slithers in and tries to separate them from this whole identity that they belong to God, and he's trying to give them a different identity. Uh I mean, they were already they were already made in the image and likeness of God, but then he's trying to pretend like God's holding out on them and they can get a, a new identity that they could become like God's. I mean, so it, it's this constant trying to shift the the identity and the allegiance, and that's exactly what happened. And, and that's why when Luther in the large catechism, just right off the bat, when he's talking about the seventh petition, he's talking about how in the Greek we need to be delivered and preserved from the evil one. Uh, he is the devil. That's the evil one. So not just an abstract uh, concept of evil, you know, not just an idea, but the one who actually is evil, uh, the devil himself, the one who is always trying to lead us astray, that this is where our prayers are directed against our chief enemy. Now, it's in this life, what the devil tries to trick us is the devil always tries to make us think that other people are our enemies. I mean, that's, you know, something happens, there's a conflict, and then you now see the other person as your adversary, even within the church itself. But the enemy is the devil. That's the, the one who's always the enemy. I mean, he is the chief enemy. He's the one who's always trying to stir the pot here and trying to steal the joy that we have in Jesus. Uh, that's what the devil does. And, and so when we're going back to the Lord in prayer, we're, we're starting again with that identity that we are children of God, and we are praying to our Father who's in heaven. And so the devil wants us, again, to identify with our sin, but God always wants us to identify with our Savior. Uh, so when Paul's talking about this whole baptismal identity in Colossians and ends on that note in chapter 4 about continuing steadfast in prayer, I mean, th that's where we we end when we, we're talking here about the, the seventh petition. I mean, so what does this mean? Well, immediately what Luther says is we pray. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, I mean, well, uh, technically, that's the whole point, right? We pray. We pray in this petition, yes. In summary, okay, so I mean, he's summarizing this whole point that our Father in heaven, 
See, so he's taking us all back to the beginning. You know, in the beginning, we open up, we say, our father who art in heaven. Okay. So now we're summarizing everything in this final petition, that this is the summary of all things, that he's the one who would rescue us, rescue us from every evil of body and soul, all these things in life that are not good. I mean, if you go back to the Arden, uh, the Garden with the G, sorry, the Garden of Eden, and uh, you, you have Adam and Eve there. Remember, before when Adam was alone, God said it was not good. Which, I mean, if you're following the flow of the text, it seems very strange because you know, chapter one, God creates everything; He sees everything that He created, and it is very good. It is tov ma'od, muy bien. I mean, zer gut. It is very good. But then also you turn the page and it's like, well, Adam was alone and that's not good. Well, what we want to understand good with is with life. And what evil is, is, is directly connected to death. And it, it's, it's not good that Adam is alone because when Adam is alone as a creature by himself, he cannot procreate. So you cannot continue this life as a gift that God gives. And so God is teaching us as humanity that God himself is life, and that is good, and God is good. But what is evil is death. I mean, that was not God's intention in the beginning. Uh, evil uh, and, and death is not part of of the original plan of creation, if you will. I mean, like when you talk about the the, the theory of evolution, the assumption is there's always death. <laughs> so the assumption is there's always sin. It was always evil. But the scripture tells us contrary to that, no, that's not true. That was not originally how things were supposed to go. This is all by accident, if you will. I mean, this is, this is something that happened with this fall into sin that now you have something that is evil of both the body and the soul. Now, when we when we look at life and death, I mean, remember that you have uh, you have a a physical life, you have a spiritual life, and you have an eternal life. Uh, likewise, uh, corresponding to that, you also have a physical death, a spiritual death, and an eternal death. And so, when Adam and Eve are originally created with this original righteousness, they have life. They have physical life, they have spiritual life, they have eternal life. It's all gifts from God. But when the devil comes in, he's destroying all of this, and he's taking away that physical life. He's taking away that spiritual life so that we become dead in our sins. And then if we remain in that state, dead in our sins, then we end up in eternal death. That's uh, departing with the goats uh, to the pits of hell, which were prepared for the devil and uh, his rebellious uh, angels. But here we have this, this understand that God is the one who's going to rescue us from every evil of body and soul. And that evil itself uh, of death, I mean, when the body and soul are separated in this life, you, the body goes back into the ground, the soul goes to be with the Lord, that we look toward that day, the last day, where the body and soul are once again reunited. And we have life, we have good, which is good. But when we're fighting in this life, you have uh, a reputation, your possessions, uh, all these things that we have as good gifts from God in this life. And so we look toward that last hour. See, again, we're looking towards that because in this life, there's all kinds of sorrow and sadness, trials and tribulations. And if we set our eyes on those things and not on Jesus, then we fall into despair. 
Because if you look around, everything is going wrong in our life. You know, these experiences outside of us in this fallen world, it seems like we do not have a good creator. It seems like he doesn't care or he isn't watching or he isn't powerful or he can't do anything about it. That's how it seems. But that's how we always got to go back or why we always got to go back to the scripture and the promise, because it's only in the promises that the Lord can assure us and give us that confidence in the conscience once again, that Christ is our Prince of Peace in the midst of all this shaking. We were like a shaken leaf, but he's the one who's the Prince of Peace. And so that's the one we always want to look to. And so when we're looking at this deliver from evil, we're looking at all the evil that we are experiencing in this life right now. And we're looking for deliverance right now so that in our conscience, we'd be delivered from this bad conscience, uh, this terrified conscience, uh, this confused conscience, but we'd be given this confident conscience because of Jesus, that we stand before the Father as good, as righteous, as just justified, uh, even though at the same time we are still sinners. So simultaneously justified by faith alone and sinners by our own uh, thoughts, words, and deeds. I mean, that's who we are. We have original sin, our sinful nature itself. But we're, we're looking toward that last hour when it comes that he would give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow. The 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 devil and all his minions, these are spirits of sadness. They're spirits of sorrow, and they want to steal the joy that Jesus gives us. And that's why it's so profound that the Holy Spirit is working contrary to this, that the Holy Spirit is working in us so that we can see our sufferings in this life as a participation in the sufferings of Christ. So that as Christians, as the baptized with the identity we have, with being named and claimed by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can begin to rejoice in suffering. Now, that's not normal. <laughs> I mean, if you're rejoicing in suffering, that's weird, right? But because we know that in this life, it is the crucified uh, life. It, we are taking up our cross and following Jesus, and we know that God is making promises to work together for the good in all things for those who are called according to his purpose, who love him. And as, as beloved children, uh, he sees us as beloved children because of the beloved son, and we come before him as our, our he's our beloved father. But but this, this is the whole key here that we have in this life, is that we are battling with the sorrow and sadness of this world, but we know that God will eventually deliver us from this on the last day where there will be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more sin. But right now, we, we taste it. Uh, it. It's in our mouths, and it's disgusting. And we don't like it, and we, wanna, uh, we want it to end, but we keep looking in prayer, deliver us. Deliver us now in the midst of this turmoil, that we would have a conscience that's at peace, uh, and deliver us on that last day. So, Pastor, as we look at the seventh petition, it is, you know, we can get to the conclusion here, but I just want to make sure we're covering all of our bases, which, of course, you are doing, is it, it leads us to this understanding that this is good for us to pray. As you said, Luther says, we pray in this petition. When are times that we should be praying this prayer, but deliver us from evil? Do you have any kind of practical advice of this is a really good time to pray this? Of course, every day, but any uh, any further thoughts on on other ideas or times? Well, first of all, my, my first initial thought is I think you just had a very profound statement right there. Uh, I mean, this is actually very profound. I, I've never actually thought it this oh. way about taking an individual petition. I mean, so... 
I've always thought of this more as the whole, the totality of the Lord's Prayer that we, in a catechetical way, look at, uh, uh, you know, seven petitions, right? But uh, of course, when we have mealtime prayers, that's the time when we are in the midst of giving thanks to God, recognizing and realizing that this food comes from Him. Uh, it's not because we deserve it, it's because He's good. Uh, look at the fifth petition, uh, obviously, when we are uh, a, coming before God humbly and asking for forgiveness, or even the, the strength or the ability to forgive others, you know, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive others. But then this one, I mean, this is, this is actually a, a profound thing, because this is a little bit different now. I mean, so when is it do we talk about deliver us from evil? It would be in these times, I think, where the whole world is is falling apart. Because, I mean, this is different than sixth petition. I mean, if we're going to, I, I think this is actually very profound. Let's take out a petition and say, when do we use this petition? You know, that sixth petition is, it's kind of, it's before you sin, right? So the fifth petition is after you sin. <laughs> you say, it's forgive true. us our it's trespasses, true. right? Because you just crossed the line. But now the sixth petition is, now that we're right with God again, uh, help us so that we don't do it again. I mean, so that 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 sixth petition is kind of it's 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 like what Luther does in the morning prayer. I mean, it's in yeah. the the evening mm-hmm. prayer where Luther says that you would you're, that you're praying to God that He would forgive you all of your sins where you've done wrong. But in the morning prayer, you don't start off that way. The morning prayer is just you know you're off to do your business. You know you're you're out to do your duty, your vocation, your calling, and everything is good. So that's kind of more like the uh, the sixth petition. Okay, so you're saying before you fall into the trap <laughs> in the morning, you're saying, uh, "Lead us not into temptation." But then at the end of the day, you come back to the fifth petition, and say, "Okay, I fell for it again," um, and so you, you ask for forgiveness. But the seventh petition, I, 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 again, th- this is very interesting. I mean, when do you do this? You do this in the time of evil. Uh, the time of evil is these things that are happening in life. Uh, this is again body and soul. Okay, so this could be any kind of physical ailment, uh, any kind of physical suffering, uh, any kind of uh, uh, mental anguish. I mean, we're we're talking about struggles and trials uh, of faith. Uh, we're talking about these these changes and chances in life that everything is just now gone a, a astray, not the way that you thought it would, uh, that you had expectations of things, and uh, reality doesn't really meet your expectations, and, and that's when you would pray this petition delivers from evil because it's all evil I mean so this this is tied to that that's being separated from God who is good uh, being separated from the one who is life which of course ultimately leads us into death and remember we're talking about physical death we're talking about spiritual death and eternal death so it, it's in these times of need where everything's going wrong and you say God, are you not paying attention? How long? How long, O oh Lord? You know, mm-hmm. uh, this is that Psalm 22 uh, when you say, "My God, my God, why, why, to what end? Why is this happening? Why have you forsaken me?" And that's that's the prayer. That's the the prayer here in this petition: deliver us from evil. When you have this uh, this conversation with God, you have that you're filing that complaint, that lament, and you're saying, "Why." Why is this happening to me? But of course, you never leave it at that note. 
I mean, it just like, okay, well, uh, it's an unanswered question. You know, when you, you look at uh, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing me? My groans go out and you're not there. It's like you're not going to deliver me. But then yet you are enthroned on the praises of Israel and you, our ancestors, uh, trusted our forefathers, the patriarchs of old. They trusted in you. So it's always going back to that trusting in the word. So you take this petition and you isolate it out. It's not just a mere um, flare that you shoot up into heaven and say, deliver me like an SOS signal on a, a deserted island. But it's the that real conversation that you have with God, who is your heavenly father, who does care. But you're in a situation where it doesn't seem like he does. It, it seems like he's not there. And so you say, deliver me from this. Deliver me from this evil. Uh, and ultimately the evil one, because the evil one is trying to destroy us. The devil is always trying to destroy us. The devil is always trying to steal our joy. So it, it would be in the midst of these trials and tribulations that we find ourselves in this life. I do feel as you, as we look at this, that this definitely points to those end of life times, because as Luther looks at it, and I think about this too, in the people that I visited, the, the blessed saints where it says, finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end. And that is really what people pray for in those last times, that people are asking for no more pain, that this person would be with the Lord. And, and this prayer um, just is something that people are praying that, hey, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrows to himself in heaven. And I just, I, and I'm not sure how to bring that all together because we don't want to make it sound like that, that, that this only evil, but it is a time where we need to pray something like this because there needs to be light. There needs to be hope. There needs to be grace in those moments, the most succinct. I mean, the most tangible way you can see it on this side of eternity is when you need it is in those moments. So I never thought about doing the seventh petition at that time. But I think it definitely is relatable. Any thoughts? Well, if we, we go back to Psalm 22, I mean, Psalm 22 is Christ mm -hmm. uh, crucified on the cross for us, right? He's the one that was forsaken for us so that we would not be forsaken. And then it flows right into Psalm 23 uh, that we say that uh, Yahweh is my shepherd. I, sh I shall not lack. Mm -hmm. I lack nothing. I mean, that's I shall not want. Is I mean, you don't lack anything. I mean, so that's faith. That's faith. Even though I walk through the valley of death, I shall fear no evil. I mean, so that, that's the whole, uh, e even though this is happening, uh, evil's in this life, the devil is trying to destroy us, uh, we, we are, are, are not to fall into uh, the, this whole uh, fear of death, is what the devil wants us to do, because when we fall into the fear of death, uh, we try to do anything that we can do to elude death. Uh, we try to elude uh, uh, an eternal death, but only Christ himself can be the one who gives us victory over the grave, uh, a physical death, uh, but also e eternal death. And he's the one who uh, gives to us this spiritual life by ascended to the Father, pouring out the Holy Spirit upon us, that we would continue to look to him in heaven. I mean, notice how, uh, again, that this petition kind of has bookends, that we, we start off by saying that our Father who is in heaven, that he would uh, take us to himself in heaven. Because what we're doing is we're comparing heaven. And I mean, we, we do this in a secular world too, where heaven is seen as kind of like perfect. You know, you say, oh, this is heavenly. I mean, that's heaven is paradise. It's when you don't have the valley of sorrow, the valley of death. I mean, all this despair in this life. 
Uh, but you, you're looking to uh, that time when this will eventually come to an end. But you're also praying that you're looking to that hope that at some point you'll have a little glimmer uh, of light when a little bit of it will come to an end in this life. Uh, you know, you get out of that that mess that that you're in, uh, all the 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 trouble that's uh, all around you, surrounding you. Pastor, <laughs> exactly, it's all right there, and and this is where I'm 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 thinking that we do need to get to the conclusion. We do need, we we do need an end to this at some point, but as we as we look at the conclusion, it is. I just want to make sure as we have about ten minutes left in our time. Is there anything else you wanted to speak to about the seventh petition? No, I, I think this is good because it, 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 it summarizes it all up. I mean, that that's the whole point. You start out with our Father in heaven. You end with the fact that we're struggling here on earth. Uh, but what we're looking for is the time where the devil is no longer plaguing us here on earth. I mean, that's really what we're looking for. So in the contrast between heaven and earth, uh, in heaven, the devil's not plaguing us there. I mean, that's the whole thing with Job. Remember, in Job, in the beginning, you have mm. Satan, Satan, the accuser. He goes before the divine council. He, he's in he's in the 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 room uh, the the throne of God, and he's able to accuse. Well, now that Christ has come, he's been thrown out of the courtroom. He's not there. He can't he can't accuse us before God in heaven. So what does he do? Well, he still has his business card, and he goes around and says, "Look, I'm the official accuser," and he accuses us here on earth in the conscience. That's what he's doing. Because he does not have that state in uh, heaven. We have a high priest who is our advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous one. But you have the devil who's still going around saying, hey, look, at I still have this job of accuser, and I'm going to accuse your conscience. <laughs> well, so with that um, foundation of assurance, that's what we have, uh, let's get to the conclusion. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What does this mean? This means that I should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. Amen, amen means yes, yes, it shall be so. Pastor, what strikes me right away is exactly what you've been breaking down with Ephesians, 1 Peter, and Colossians is that this conclusion says this, this means that I should be certain. And this is, you know, goes to the, um, goes to the creed. This is most certainly true. I love how that even connects us to our prayer life. What else do you see in the conclusion? Well, again, if you know, I mean, we, we, we probably tell this in confirmation classes, catechetical uh, teaching, where in Luther's day, what Luther's doing in the small catechism, he's just doing that shorter ending, just the amen. I mean, so it's deliver us uh, from evil. Amen. So you just got the amen on the end. That that amen is the one of the the three Hebrew words that everybody knows. Okay, everybody knows the Hebrew word amen, right? <laughs> everybody knows uh, hallelujah and hosanna because these are the the three Hebrew words that we know. But amen. So in Hebrew, aman. I mean, this the verbal root aman. It, it's really in this idea of confidence to be confirmed, to to support, to believe. I mean, that, that's really the whole idea. It's, it's then rooted in, in what it means to believe something. So when you get to the amen, amen is not just the period or the exclamation point at the end of a sentence or a paragraph. Amen is it, the, when you give somebody the amen, you're saying, I am in agreement with this. I believe this to be true. 
I mean, and so sometimes we do this in, you know, secular society, sometimes in the church, you know, can I get an amen? And, you know, so it says amen. I mean, so when you're saying amen, it is that statement of certainty, that statement of faith that you believe this to be true, uh, not because you would like it to be true. It's because God gives us his promise and he is faithful to his promise and God alone is true. Uh, Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and his word is truth. I mean, so you, you got this word from Jesus, and so you can say with confidence and boldness, amen. Uh, I believe it to be true. I mean, so that, that's why Luther's uh, short uh, ending here is just, it's because of that short ending. You know, did the amen means, yes, yes, it shall be so. I mean, that's that confidence. Uh, that's, that's the way we are to pray with faith, uh, faith and the promises that are all fulfilled in Jesus. And so that's the key there. Now, of course, we use that doxological uh, uh, ending, the kind of a liturgical life of the church where you respond and you say, why? I mean, why? Because to you, belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. I mean, this is this all belongs to God, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the only one who is eternal, the eternal one. And so he is the one who has the kingdom, uh, the power, and the glory. He's the one who can do exactly what he says he can do. He's the one who will do exactly what he promises to do. So we believe this all to be true. So as we look at the conclusion, this covers basically all of the petitions as we look at the Lord's Prayer, which we spoke about how we'll pray the whole thing because it's all-encompassing. It's a gift from our Lord. It, it, it covers basically our whole lives. We can pray it separately as we've been speaking about that this is maybe a time for us to separate it, but also has a number of main points. And you are the perfect person to summarize all of it within three minutes. So, Pastor, what would be your last thoughts as we look at the, the gift of the Lord's Prayer, the petitions and the conclusion, and the gift that the Lord has given to us in the Lord's Prayer? That's funny. The three-minute uh, timer's on. Okay, good. Right. Well, it, what, what Luther's trying to do for us, for catechetical purposes, is trying to separate this in petitions. And like we, we talked today, I, I think that it is actually profound to actually then individually take these out beyond catechetical purposes, but actually for devotional purposes. I, I, I think that that's a very unique way that maybe what you could do is you could do something like uh, you could pray the first petition on Monday or something to that effect and, and try to, to dwell upon that and meditate and contemplate. I mean, that, that's what Luther's doing in all of the catechism. He's just taking his own uh, meditation upon these texts, and that's why he's giving us the answer, well, what does this mean? Uh, that that you're, you're coming to this with an understanding of, of looking back to, to what the text says, always pointing to Jesus. I mean, so when you come full circle all the way back to that first, uh, the introduction itself, the address, where we're, we're pleading to our Father who's in heaven all for the sake of Jesus. I mean, notice again that it says that he's tenderly inviting us to believe. Okay, that's the key, to believe. So Luther was very fond of always saying that we are learning to believe. And so that's in the midst of a world that's contrary to these promises. I mean, experience tells us something different, but we're always learning to believe. So our Father who's in heaven, he is tenderly inviting us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence, again, you go back to that boldness and confidence. The only way that we can pray to God as our Father is because we have an advocate 
with the Father. Jesus the righteous, uh, Jesus who is the only one who is holy. And so Jesus stands as our mediator. And that's why we don't need to look for a different mediator between us and the angry Jesus. We've got the one mediator between uh, man and God. And so with that boldness and confidence, we go before the Father because the Son stands there for us. He is the one who intercedes for us, so he's the advocate with the Father. But at the same time, we'll say that the Holy Spirit is another advocate, uh, a parakletos. Uh, both the Son and the Holy Spirit are parakletos. Uh, that, that's, the Holy Spirit is also in, in Romans. We, we talk about this whole understanding of Romans chapter 8, that he is the, the spirit of supplication. So this is how... He, he is in the prayers, in the prayers itself. He is uh, giving us the words to say when we even don't know what we ought to say. So he's actually kind of, the Holy Spirit is working with these words as we say things, and we're asking uh, God for help in these times of need. We're thanking God, we're praising God, and the Holy Spirit is kind of uh, reshaping them and, and kind of packaging them and shipping them off so that they're better than what we actually said. <laughs> or it, it's uh, it, it's actually what we what we intend, but we didn't really know. Uh, I mean, th that's like when we we pray the basic thing: "Forgive me for my sins that are known and unknown." I mean, so it's the Holy Spirit is working with that, but he's the advocate uh, with kind of with the conscience, too. I mean, that is really what's going on here. The devil is the the evil spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who's at work in the lives of the children of God, whereas the sons of disobedience, those are the ones in which the, the Satan, uh, the the whole evil foe, the old evil foe, he's at work in them. I mean, he, he's totally uh, controlling them, not necessarily uh, possessed, but being oppressed and depressed by Satan himself. That's the sons of disobedience. But we are adopted sons of God through which the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in our hearts and our conscience, and he does this with the word. So it's always through the means of grace, and it's it's never, you, you can never isolate the prayer apart from the promises of Jesus. And so it's the promises of Jesus that once again confirm that faith. Prayer is just the exercise of that faith. The Reverend Dr. Brian Ketchelmeyer of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, clearly confessing and giving us a clear conscience before our Lord, who in Christ delivers us and by his grace keeps us with him. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, thank you for your faithful teaching on Concord Matters. Oh, you are most welcome. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.